Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie, you caught me mid-sip. I know, you're right. I was, I've, I've been meaning to tell you, like, it's kind of getting out of hand, the drinking. It's, it's kind of crazy. Ugh, what are you, my mom? <laughs> no, I'm your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to counter that, so I'm just going to say, welcome everyone to the Mixed Reviews. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or a mini-genre, and we give you a complete history, and then we talk about what we think is great, and what we think is not so great. Yeah, we mix up the reviews. We watch as much as we can in two weeks, and we're here to just serve it up to you. Height. I, I was going to say hot and ready. I said height. Whatever. Height and ready. Height and ready. It's very tall. Very tall. Um, just how I like them. Um, before we get into, well, Gavin, I was going to like just barrel ahead with um, our business. God, do you even host, Louie? Actually, I've heard that about you. I you mean, I, I, I don't like people in my home. No, <laughs> Derek, he does not even stay with me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of hosting... Gavin, we have a special guest in attendance with us here today, and he's looking so great. He's setting the mood right. Everyone, please welcome to the stage. It's Jesse. Hi. <laughs> I just pictured doing a cartwheel onto a stage just now. I wish I could do it. Yes. I, I mean, no one would be able to appreciate it. Um, you know what? It's a non-visual medium, so for all intents and purposes, you did it, babe. You did. You did it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was. It was dicey there. I, I combed the right. stage with my uh, you hair. You got real close it, to the edge. I was like, oh no, Jesse Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No more concussions. Um, but sadly, this is not a visual medium. But the shirt you're wearing, the martini glass full of olives, you really are setting the mood, setting the tood. Feeling good. I noticed behind I you, you have a Doom Generation as well, too. So you're just really... Uh, there, are, there are Easter eggs in this whole frame that you, wow. you guys are seeing. So Maybe wow. we'll post a still of it later. <laughs> no, I think it should just be for you. Okay, fine. Uh, fine. I, I feel very special right now. I feel very special. Um, before we get into what we're talking about on this episode with Mr. Jesse Knight, um, we have some old business. Um, first, we ask you guys to uh, go and vote on your favorite road movie. Road movies were our, our last episode. And praise the gods. Finally, I won one. And it was the easiest one to win, but it was dicey for a second. Holy shit. I had to campaign for the first time in my life. Um, <laughs> but uh, here are the results. Um, other came in at 15.2%. Um, and we had lots of uh, people saying lots of different things. Oh yeah, we uh, got a we got a Pee Wee's Big Adventure in there. We got Midnight Run. We got an actual Bollywood film, which we know yes. we totally know that we're bad about Bollywood and we should do better. But also, we only have two weeks. Yeah, so. Wild Strawberries got a shout out. The Last Detail, Wild, um, Thelma and Louise, Dumb and Dumber, um, lots of good stuff. Uh, a surprisingly strong showing for a National Lampoon's Vacation, sixteen point two percent. Um, an even more surprisingly showing for Gavin's pick, Paris, Texas, which honestly is our podcast highbrow. I'm upset about it. I'm upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck's going on? Uh, my pick, Welcome to our scene club. Uh, mm -hmm, film. Uh, a goofy movie, was, which was my pick, came in at first place at 42.4%. Thank God for the Disney girls who came out and voted. Um, I needed you to come out for me. And you did. Yeah, it's not like well, that's where all the money is or anything. It's not like no. they control everything. Just, no, just no, saying. No. I'm not bitter or anything. I'm just, I'm, I'll be here. Yeah, I needed that for me. Um, Jesse, do you have any fond uh, memories or, or things to say about um, road movies that, that you like? 
Yeah, I was just I was about to chime in. Um, I want to shout out Highway 61 by Bruce McDonald is a great Canadian road movie. Mm. Um, and then uh, 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 the Vim Vendors, um, I always forget the title. There's a comma in it. That It's not Paris, Texas, obviously. <laughs> but uh, it's the one that I prefer to it. Um, it's got like 14-year-old Nastasia Kinski doing uh, circus acts in every single frame. God. She's just doing, yeah. Um, I mean, he truly is the king of the road movie. He has like six or seven different road movies in his canon, which I, I mean, I don't know. Some of the masters have one. So it's very impressive. Oh my God, I just Googled him. He has a road movie trilogy. Yeah. Yes, it, and it's called The Wrong Move. I love this movie. People seem to not like it very much, um, but it was just like everything I want from him um, <laughs> that I don't usually get, uh, not even from Paris, Texas, I got from this movie. Wow. It is called The Wrong Move. Yeah. Listen, can we stop dragging my pick? Can we? Stop? No, <laughs> we will not stop. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Um, excellent. Well, you know, that was a fun little detour that you and I made, Gavin. I really enjoyed that episode. Um, but that's over. That's done now. Um, do we have any other old business to take care of? We actually do. Before we move on out, before we leave this truck stop, I do want to say, um, earlier in this week, or actually last week, I held a very small informal contest in order for people to get a shout out on the show. I asked them to donate to Chinatown Love, which is an organization that is helping to revitalize uh, Chinatown, which has been uh, hit incredibly hard during the COVID-19 pandemic here in New York. Um, and we only got one entry. Uh, Michelle Ice, thank you so much for donating. We really, really appreciate it. She even was like, you do not have to give me a shout out, but I'm going to extend the contest. I'm going to make it a little more complicated and I'm going to give you three different charities. If you guys donate to these three different charities within the next week. So let's say, uh, do you mean any one of these charities or all three of them? Anyone, any one okay. of these charities. You know what? If you donate to multiple and you can prove it to me, I'll enter you in twice. <laughs> gag so let's say by wednesday april 7th at 8 p.m eastern if you can prove that you have donated to either the chinatown love which is exactly as it sounds i'm also going to be posting all these on our twitter and on our facebook page uh so you can have links to them but there's send chinatown love uh there's also intransitive which is uh a charity for trans folks living in arkansas after the bill that was just passed today they need it. They need the help. And also Save Our Spaces, which is an LGBTQ venue charity trying to save uh, queer bars and queer spaces that have also been impacted during the COVID-19 pandemic. And as the incentive, because we're going to be talking about today, our subject, Parker Posey, I will mail you Parker Posey's hardcover memoir as she calls mm. it <laughs> um not only is it her memoir it is signed by parker posey herself and if you want that all you have to do is message us on twitter message us on facebook message us on instagram or email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com with your receipt saying you donated to one of these charities i can enter you multiple times if you donate multiple times to different charities not asking for a lot if you can spare five dollars if you can spare three dollars do it and I will incur the cost of mailing this book to you, but all of these charities are very important to me, to us, 
and I think it's a good way to try and give back. So please enter. Oh, and Michelle, you do not have to enter again. You've already entered. We got you, gal. Yeah, exactly. You're the first in the line. So, but everybody else, please message us and help out these worthy causes. That's a lovely idea, Gavin. Thank you so much for um, bringing that to the table. Um, I'm a people pleaser. You are a gentleman and a scholar, as I noted earlier. Um, Is that all of our old business? That is all of our old business. So why don't we move into some new business? Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel like... Jesse, you've been hyping this episode um, to me and Gavin for like a month now. Um, and, and as Gavin said, this episode, we, you you have brought us here today to talk about the one, the only, the Miss Parker Posey, um, icon of the 90s and beyond. Uh, why don't you just like give us a little taste, give us a little flavor. Why did you want to talk about Parker Posey? Um, I mean, I guess the simple reason is that you have not done an episode about <laughs> Parker Posey yet. Wow, so, I mean, wow. Uh, Insightful, <sighs> pithy. <laughs> Listen, we try and be everything to everyone. We are everything Incredible. you want. We are everything you need. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have been a fan of hers for decades now, but um, lately um, in this past year, I mean, I don't know how it's been for you guys, but I just like my brain is screaming out for like comfort. Mm. And um, for me, you know, like my sanctuary is, uh, uh, you know, 90s indies. Um, so I was watching a lot of Hal Hartley. And then there are a lot of these like weird deep cuts that she just pops up in um, that I wanted to get my hands on. So I, I don't remember what it was, but I, it was um, either during the Henry Fool trilogy or um, I, I watched this terrible movie, Sleep With Me, that she pops up in, in from uh, the mid-90s. Um, and I something just uh, had me screaming out to an empty apartment. I love her. Yes. It was like I couldn't contain it, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think I just did a search to see if you guys had done a Parker Bosey episode. Excellent. And I came out with nothing. And um, No, I mean, it. that's an incredible... I mean, when, when Gavin was like... Yeah, there's this like guy on Twitter who like really wants to do Parker Posey, and I was like, you know what? He's not wrong. Yeah, uh, and the it's funny that you bring up Sleep with Me. Sleep with Me is a, one of the few movies I did not see. I saw in the last two weeks, I've seen 26 films. A lot, a lot of them are rewatches, but 26 Parker Posey films. And this was not one I revisited, but I'm very familiar with it because of the stupid Quentin Tarantino cameo where he like misquotes Top Gun. Uh, But that sigh, Jesse, was so intense. I'm like very scared about what is to come. (laughs) It was it's one of those movies where I was excited to see because the cast is so great. It's like Meg Tilly and Craig Sheffer and um, Joey Lauren Adams and, you know, like everybody you would and Adrian Shelley, too. Um, And then. It was so terrible that I checked out and started researching it, and I didn't even know that it was only known for this like late uh, movie, you know, Quentin Tarantino uh, monologue about Top Gun. Um, yeah, it's, um, but no, I think we should reframe this movie and recontextualize mm. its, you know, whole importance in that uh, there's a scene where Parker Posey and Joey Lauren Adams are at the poker table with all the boys and they clearly don't know how to play poker and the boys are really upset about it and Parker Posey is wearing a shirt that says I'm gonna win amazing (laughs) amazing 
But that's a, that's one of the things I love about you bringing Parker Posey to us because we've actually sort of skirted around Parker for a little bit. You know, we did an episode on Christopher Guest, we did an episode on Catherine O'Hara, and once again, as you mentioned, she just pops up in so many movies, especially in the '90s. You know, she gained that title Queen of the Indies, which was both a a blessing and a curse for her. But it's so interesting to just watch her act because she brings such a different air and energy to everything that she does. And she can completely change a movie with one scene alone. I was watching this um, small queer murder indie earlier um, called uh, Frisk. Frisk. Yeah. And she shows up maybe in the last third of the film and just takes it in a completely different direction just by her simple presence. And that's one of the things I like about watching her is it's almost like there's like a knowing wink to the way that she acts where it draws you in and it's just like, okay, well, we're friends. We're in on the joke. Oh, yeah. Even even when she's doing something completely serious. I don't know. She's fascinating. She's fascinating in a way I don't think anybody we've ever done so far and that's, I mean, at episode 89, that's yeah. really impressive. She's a full cartoon character in the best <laughs> way possible. Um, and it was really exciting to watch all of her stuff. Because I think people do think of her in like one specific way. Yeah. But um, there's so much more. Um, and, and she has also made some like really crazy choices that probably says more about her, like um, about Hollywood than her, you know, uh, just because no one knows what the fuck to do with her. Yeah, 100%. And I do think that's true. I think um, people have a hard time casting her because she is so... The word otherworldly keeps popping in my head, but that's not correct. But it is something. She's like a step... She's above this plane. (laughs) Yes, exactly. She's functioning on a different plane. And I mean that in the best way possible. I don't mean that as an insult. Like there's sometimes you're watching a movie and somebody sometimes even in movies that she's in and you're like, oh, no, what is that person doing? (laughs) Please stop them. She she's never like that. She's always engaging. She's always welcoming. And you you always like what's going on with that person? Mm -hmm. What is happening in Uh that in that person's head? (laughs) Yeah, and what's fascinating about her um, is that she doesn't see herself as a cartoon character. Right. She's just very naturally this person. Um, and being able to like funnel that through, like whatever the role is that she's playing through her own persona, you know, it's her, her own personality. It's not even a persona because mm-hmm. it's just, she's, um, I mean, she is uh, on another, she's in her own orbit. And I was trying to think of, um, you know, anybody who's, closely analogous to her and i feel like she's um on a level of like an acting auteur like she's like a nicholas cage at this point you know where it's just like you know she shows up to do her thing that we might you know expect her to do um but she's always still serving the project and the role in a a completely like a way that no one else would would be able to do right. even if they were imitating it you know right. she is like the secret recipe like she or like the secret ingredient for like the thing like i i was thinking about like man if they had cast anyone else in superman returns but her like what? i know like that would have been you know uh it, there's a lot of roles where i'm like this surely could have gone to like a straight person or like or like and i mean that as in like a normal like not 
you know, right. eccentric actress yeah. like her. And the movie right. would just be so much more uninteresting, you know? Um, you would you would see whoever that uh, actor is, like, trying to reach that level, yeah. you know, that yeah. Parker Posey just naturally brings. Um, I realized, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but re-watching Scream 3 this time, that there's not... It's a franchise I love dearly and rewatch a lot. Um, there's not much of a movie <laughs> without Parker Posey. No. Yeah. She's not the only thing that's good about it, but take her out. And it's like, there's not much left. There. No, no. She is the reason that movie was made. Yeah. Um, she, she has said she's surprised she got away with the stuff that she did in that movie with Wes Craven. Got it. Like, but he just let her, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, I think we've waxed poetic enough about why we're covering Miss Parker Posey. Uh, so why don't we- Never enough, never enough. There. So let's get into our rewind. So Miss Parker Posey, she was born November 8th, 1968 in Baltimore, um, but she actually grew up in Louisiana. Um, her parents were a chef and she, I was watching so many interviews of her. She's such a great interviewee, like, especially in the nineties, like seeing her talk to Conan O'Brien, Rosie O'Donnell, like those are her people. She was like running New York and so were they. And it's just like the contemporaries are so fun. Um, and hearing her talk to Rosie about like her dad, who was the car um, salesman and like how she got her, her twin brother. She has a twin brother, Christopher, um, got his car first before her. Um, it's just so fun. My dad was like big on the value of money and, and you know, you get, you got to work. And so he gave my, my brother, a, a, um, cause he got his license before I did, but a, a big, a white Chevrolet Impala that was about the size of a yacht. And my brother called it the ghost and it had like, the floor was out and we'd drive to school and that it was. Yeah, it was fun. I think especially now, a lot of celebrities who go on late night, it's like they're so boring or like they feel like it's it's such work for them. Whereas for Parker, she like is a natural at it. If I can uh, just rewind your rewind Please. here. Um, I feel like it's worth noting that she is a literal miracle baby. Like she was born like a little like ch raw chicken cutlet. And um, <laughs> the doctor came in and said, because she's a twin, you know, your son is... Great, um, but we need a name for your daughter for the death certificate. Holy shit. So, yeah. But my favorite story about her being a baby is the earliest photos she has of herself as a baby. Her mother put fake eyelashes on her. Amazing. Amazing. And she's so, like, that's just who we are. We are <laughs> show people. We, you Drag know. baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> side note, me and my sisters were all preemies. Hmm. Just when, like Parker. When did your mother put fake eyelashes on you first. Oh, I never took them off. <laughs> <laughs> I come from a family of characters. I wish you could have met Nani and and Granny. And of course my my own parents. They're they're entertaining people. No one took a picture of me in the incubator um during the 6 weeks I was in it. The false eyelashes to me is like it was such a, a moment, right? It was just something that was so natural for my family to self-dramatize, to entertain each other, and to expect entertainment from everyone else. Now, underneath all that is, of course, a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of drama, because you create that humor out of, I think, a you know, a brokenness or like I need to make myself laugh at this. So they lived in Monroe, Louisiana for 11 years. Then they later moved to Mississippi. So it's it's kind of funny and interesting to think of like 
I don't think most people, when you think of Parker Posey as someone from the deep South, um, she certainly doesn't sound like she is. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's reflected a lot in her, her movies about like, there are a lot of the young person in New York who's making it, doing it. And so she always wanted to move to New York. She, that was always a goal of hers. She ended up going to college at SUNY Purchase, um, to go to acting school. I, I do want to mention that uh, from a young age, she was also a dancer and she was good at it. She's good at moving her body. This was in Monroe, Louisiana at Linda Lavender School of Dance. Oh, we're doing dance. <laughs> Ballet, tap and jazz. But then at NCSA, like I was chewing gum in class and making people laugh and like, oh, I don't feel like catching up with that routine. You know, yeah. like stand up, stand in the background and just be like, oh, whenever. So, so <laughs> I made the teachers laugh and like, I was like the cut up. And so anyway, the dean of dance told my dad when he said, what do I tell my daughter? He said, tell her she's an actress. And that's wow. so I went back for acting for the summer programs. I got in in the ballet department the following year and then just like, can I, Please. can I go juggle in that in the circus <laughs> class? She's giving too much face, face, face. <laughs> so yeah, she was a young actress uh, in at SUNY Purchase and she drops first, out, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't finish. Um, and she gets her first break as, um, I mean, and God, how many actresses have we talked about who they get their start on the soaps? Uh, <laughs> she's uh, Tess Shelby on As the World Turns. I know I've acted like a real jerk ever since I've met you. I've just been so confused. I know that's no excuse. What do you want from me? Well, I just know that you've been upset about all you've learned about your dad. I thought I could help. Listen, Hutch, I'm asking for another chance. And this is like already the, the early 90s, like, you know, you've fast forwarded. Um, and her first movie we actually already talked about in our Richard uh, Linklater episode, uh, Stays and Confused, that was 1993. One of her very first screen appearances is uh, the movie Coneheads. I just, I love that it's with Joey Lauren Adams and Michelle Burke. Yeah. Who were all days together. Yeah, and I, I just like the fact, I mean, also, I will go to bat for the Coneheads. Wow. <laughs> so. uh, no, I will too. Watching it now, it's uh, it's like an experimental film. It is. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely insane. Kind of maybe the only time I've thought Dan Aykroyd was funny. <laughs> wow. Shots like the fired. Commitment, correct. The yeah. commitment that he has in that movie is more work than I've ever seen from him. Joaquin Phoenix um, found dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, imagine Joaquin Phoenix doing a Coneheads oh my God. remake. What? That's what we, we need. She's barely, Perkaposi is barely in that. I think she runs and sits and yep. uh, screams, right? Like that's really all <laughs> Runs and sits and screams. All things that she will eventually use in Best in Show. She's <laughs> teaching <Yes>. her dog. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, then it's, she, she, as we enter the 90s, this is like the era that she's known for. She's in, in some capacity, 32 independent films um, in the 90s. Uh, and it's like, so we started with like, let's talk a little bit about La Darla. She, uh, the, the, there's so much good stuff on YouTube of like this stuff of her just like riffing, you know, talking about being a bitch and like hazing these gals. I'm just bad, honey. I'm just bad. That's all there is about it. I just really, I've been through a lot of stuff in high school and I'm just bad and you know, I deserve to be torture queen and just have fun. It's 
so fun. The mo- we've talked about this movie before. Yeah, uh, and, and it's excellent. I mean, there's I, I don't really know what more you can say about the movie that's already been said. Right. You know, like good and bad. I feel like it's all valid and relevant. She's just so like for, right away lived in being this character actress. Um, and you can just tell because she's not like a main character. She's just kind of like around yelling at people. <laughs> it's amazing. It's funny. I, I've seen her in interviews. She's not a method actor, but I have seen people ask her, you know, do do you ever take on traits of these characters? And she's like, absolutely. She's like, these people, the time that you inhabit them, they like take over and they're in you. And, you know, when you're in like a, a creative process, this being able to turn that I don't know what it is that makes me dedicated to the, the story of something mm-hmm. and the ability, the susceptibility to be sucked in. But <clears throat> it just happened. And I was really, um, I have a lot of synchronicity in the parts and art imitating life and stuff. Yeah. And I get really, you know, it's very uncanny. As sort of, um, you know, otherworldly as we've talked about her being, um, all her characters are very recognizable. And Darla is um, terrifying, <laughs> but also completely like you have been to school with this person, yes. you know? Yes. Um, and uh, still, even now watching it, you know, 20 years later, it's like, I'm afraid of you, but I want to be you, you know, and I want to be your friend and I want you to be proud of me and, and impressed by me and all that stuff. And she does it in, I mean, if you counted how many shots she's in, it's probably not many. No, you know? yeah. no. She, she leaves that impact in, uh, with a very, very small amount of screen time. Um, the next, like, and I, I just like wrote down like what I thought were the the hallmarks of her career. It has to be 1995's Party Girl, where she, yeah. um, that's like the big splash. This is the first movie that they showed on the internet. I, I kept seeing that everywhere. <laughs> um, and she plays Mary, and this movie is just like so fun. It, it Maybe one of the best uh, representations of that time period. Like it's such a time capsule with the fashion, the drag queens, um, the music. I love Party Girl. <laughs> Uh, Party Girl for a while seems like it could be like the ultimate Parker Posey movie. I mean, I, she has said that it was uh, she wore all of her clothes, but she's also said that she didn't. So I, I don't really know right. what's true, but I believe either. I mean, every scene, you know, right. sometimes like costume changes within a scene. Um, it's all great. Um, the the thing I noticed this time watching it, um, Lady Bunny is the first person first. Yeah. you see on screen and um, the credits are in order of appearance and uh Lady Bunny is credited as itself. Itself. Yes. It's uh, iconic. Uh, the movie's directed by Daisy Von Schurler Mayer. And one of the things I love about this movie, um, you know, we, we haven't really talked about the plot, but essentially it's she's a she's a party girl and she decides to not um, get hurt. Yeah, to not get hurt. To 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 be, but also to become a librarian, to like kind of calm her life down and uh, find a balance between the two, get serious about her life and her lifestyle, but also maintain this sort of flighty nightlife and how those things contradict with each other as well as the film goes along. But I think one of the great things that uh, Daisy Von Schurler Mayer does is she's so smart in her characterizations that nobody is ever fully a cartoon, even to the heights that Parker mm-hmm. Posey travels. I mean, the the best scene the most quotable scene is when she just sees a friend across the party. <laughs> she, <laughs> Natasha! Natasha! <laughs> and then they just go in <laughs> vogue. But, like, 
but I think also with Smart, you know, she has this godmother character, um, Judy. I think in less careful hands would be painted more as like a bitch or a villain. And she's not. She's treated as somebody who is both a little envious of the freedom of Parker Posey's character and also a little, I mean, mad at Parker Posey's mother yeah. for having a life that she never got to have. And I think that's a, a fascinating differential. I think in less careful hands, she would have been like she a real just, villain. Yeah. You know? She would have just been like the angry old bitch who's crotchety. Um, and this movie is not about that. This movie is just kind of about like finding your way, having it all. Um, I read like a really good thing of like, this is um, a movie that of like, if Carrie Bradshaw actually like got paid what she was supposed to get paid, like this would be her life in the, in the 90s, you know, um, fashionable, fun, um, looking for love in all the wrong places, et cetera, et cetera. The bangers like truly just don't stop in this time period. Like I, I uh, in 1996, we've got Kicking and Screaming. She's Miami. I'd never seen the movie before. Um, I did. And I was like, OK, our uh, one of our uh, previous guests, Samantha Stallard, fully went to Prague. Um, for a year after school and I was texting her I was like Sam is this where you got your idea like what's going on I love kicking and screaming it's a movie that if I had seen it at the time I would have started a band called Olivia Dabo's Retainer mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is a really good retainer movie um yeah I mean again she like she pops up in this ensemble and she just uh her scene is the most memorable it her, totally her is breakup scene and, yeah yeah my classes let's talk about your classes okay your dinosaur classes and all that shit let's talk about your friends let's talk about how you guys are all in love with each other and how sick you make me with your stupid games this trivia game ding max loves grover ding skippy does otis ding they all do each other and, and it drives me nuts ding that skippy get a fucking life i saw last night the day trippers um comes out in 97. 97 was a very busy year for her. She had one, two, three, uh, four, at name least. Name them. So, well, I mean, we're going to get, they're, they're all bangers. These are, I am going to name all these. So, Day Trippers, where she's more of a side character. In, in 97, we have House of Yes, uh, which is uh, another one of, I think, between that and Party Girl, those are like her two big kind of like leading uh, roles. Um, House of Yes, which is... Uh, was fully paid for by Aaron Spelling. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is the worst part of that movie. So good for Tori. I will good. I will absolutely. Uh, this is, I mean, this is where we, this is where I speak up, I guess. <laughs> um, no, I rewatched the movie today after having rewatched it earlier this month. And uh, that's commitment, folks. Freddie Prince Jr., I think, is brilliant. Really? No. Uh, he is. I mean, it's it's one of those like perfect timing where like he is the perfect age uh, and the, the like look. It's just like everything worked out so well so that he could play that part. He's um, I wish he could have played more parts like that rather than just be pretty or dumb. And in this movie, he's both mm -hmm. and he gets to like and then it, I mean, it's revealed that he like knows it and he's in control of this. Also, the movie is based on a play by Wendy McLeod and it's very, very stylized. So um, to make uh, he's the only person in the movie who makes that stylized dialogue sound natural, like without missing the rhythm of the dialogue. It's 
I, I was fascinated by his performance this time watching it. Wow. And I think he's completely unsung. I am actually more on Jesse's side on this as well. I think uh, I don't I don't know if it's <laughs> I don't know if it's brilliant as much as it is like almost an idiot savant <laughs> type of like it just it just is like you're right. It's the it's the perfect time for him. It's the perfect role for him and you know she said that they rehearsed this for a couple weeks like it was a play so everybody had their things down and i agree i think he finds a way to make um to make the dialogue sound more natural specifically coming out of his mouth but also it's like so crazy that you're both wrong right now it's weird <laughs> yeah. it's so weird but also i was on this has this had oscar buzz to talk about to jillian on her 37th birthday and i fully admitted that like Freddie Prince Jr. in that movie was one of my early like queer crushes, so I might also oh. be biased. Oh, I mean, I wanted to be him. Okay, <laughs> so like wanting to be him and wanting to wear his skin is a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> not in this house. Um, <laughs> uh, just so like, we're, this is not all about Freddie Prince Jr., but I think she's also so fun in this movie. Like, oh, but she's Cozy. amazing. It, like, just the way Be she's beyond. able to to yell and scream and laugh and like keep it all together like this is her it, her very first moment so it's a movie about uh this uh, she's a a woman who um has uh, some um mental issues i will say uh and she uh sort of has styled herself after jackie o in fact everybody calls her jackie o she's jackie o pascal and she's a, a woman who's in love with her brother who has come home for thanksgiving with his new fiance and she loses it she loses it uh, because she's basically had an incestuous relationship with her brother let's the, not say the, basically they did they, yeah they <laughs> she's had an incestuous relationship with her brother and i i mean that moment when he first comes through the door and he introduces tori spelling as yeah, his yeah. fiance her reaction that scream into a laugh leslie this is jackie o hi my mother anthony hey. meet leslie <laughs> Leslie and I are engaged. <laughs> I have to buy my hairbrush. Is maybe one of the most brilliant <laughs> things I've ever seen an actor do. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. obviously a big fan of that movie. Um, also in 97, we get... Uh, Waiting for Guffman, Clock Watchers, both, which I think are so good in very different ways. Uh, Clock Watchers was the last thing I watched for this, actually. Um, and just, uh, uh, those gals all together. What a stacked cast. How has Clock Watchers not had a like critical reevaluation sort of it's, like it's coming yeah it it's coming it's it been it's happen. been unavailable for a long time and it's only just uh recently been available to rent correct me if i'm wrong like has there been another movie where she's been surrounded by other like great female performers like doing something like that because i was trying to think like where are other movies where she's like really playing with other contemporary actresses and i don't, <gasps> don't think it exists so I mean, briefly in the sweetest thing, yeah, right. she shows up in like the last, third, you know, third of that movie, right. or whatever, and she is, you know, this. I mean, that movie screams out for a new engine the entire time, and you finally <laughs> get it when they when they are with Parker Posey. But um, yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, because it's yeah, Clock Watchers is great. Yeah, because who is it? It's um, Alana Ubach, um, uh, Tony Collette, Tony Collette, and and this Lisa was Kudrow. Yeah, and Lisa Kudrow, um, and they're just like. 
ladies who are working i mean i also just love any movie that's like Temps. yeah i love any movie that's like fuck corporate america yeah. and like treat us like humans like when she says she says you can't fire me you don't even know my name like yeah. fucking like i tore my face off and i was like oh my god i can't it, it's it's so good um that yeah her her being ejected from the office is like that is like the uh you know it's like jerry Maguire, or like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. she, her arms are up and she's like it's uh it's the best and it's such a feat of acting actually too because she's played this sort of like she's like a little mean but she's this, this like quasi sort of mysterious know-it-all like like not not so burdened by the job that everybody else is and that scene is finally like she's come to the end of her rope and it yep. explodes out and it's so much fun to watch because you want them all to do it you want yeah. them all to go with her and she's mm. even like no one's gonna help me say anything you know I'm not a thief Anyone gonna say anything? Is anyone gonna say anything? I don't want to breeze by waiting for Guffman, but we did talk about it a lot in our Christopher Guest episode and our um, Catherine O'Hare episode. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I I am on the record as not the greatest uh, uh, or biggest uh, Christopher Guest fan, but Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show are like top tier for me. And I think she's the best part of them also. Um, as her little like, she, does she work at like at a Wendy's or something in this movie? Dairy Queen. A Dairy Queen. And she's just so- Just do the cones. Yeah, she's so <laughs> sincere. Like, and I think that's a big part of it. And you mentioned this earlier, Jesse, like this is not like a persona. Like there is this like this vein of sincerity running through everything she does. That was her digging into the Southern roots, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, Libby Mae Brown exists, yeah. you know? And yeah, I mean, the, I know you guys talked a lot about, it, but Guffman is like, it's it, it's the best for a reason. It's like, um, it's the perfect balance of like having empathy for these people and like loving these people and everything. And then it's like overwhelmingly heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but Guffman's important because it's, I think the first time, cause I had seen her in a lot of these other movies that came before. Um, but this is the first time that I was able to associate a name to her, but also it's like, I, knowing, you know, in my sort of limited way at the time, um, what an an improvisational movie was, um, it it helped me understand that like, oh, okay, so she has a certain ownership over this character and her dialogue. And it was, you know, it was easy now to like know her better and like have a, like a distinct uh, frame of reference going forward that has carried through the deleted scene on youtube of her like audition like it's it's unreal like it's unreal (laughs) like the bits she has them falling out of her mouth i was going through my trunk of souvenirs and i found this doll the doll we used to play with before the war before you went insane you were sitting on that quilt that had at one time kept us warm and the quilt was so worn billy and it it smelled of mothballs which brought back all those memories of the times that we spent in the attic locked up with muffin Catherine o'hara eugene levy christopher guest these are all seasoned professional improv actors sctv snl 
and you have you have Parker Posey, who's sort of, you know, she's for all intents and purposes, she's like the only like she's just an actress Mm -hmm. in this cast. And then you see her and you see what she does and you see as you said, the the empathy she's able to draw from you. I would say in a in a cast of like underlying sadness, she's maybe the saddest character. And <laughs> it, it like when you get to the end of that movie, it always oh, she always breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's a, such a really impressive thing to do in such a hilarious film. Because as, it's, I love waiting for Guffman. The problem with the future ones is that um they're going for jokes. Right. And Engulfman could be watched in a way where it's like, this is not necessarily, these aren't punchlines. Right. You know, like it means it, so you, much to them. Like the show that they're putting on means so much to them. And it could, it means right. getting up from the small town, making it bit like it's, uh, oh. But I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Gavin, because I, I, I think about that too. Like she just, she is the new kid and she, she doesn't just hold her own against these like, you know, comedy improv titans. She's like blends seamlessly yeah, right. into it. Yeah, if you were to tell me that she came from the same background as then, I'd be like, absolutely, of course. They've known her for right. years. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, and they all set. They all like that. That was the group that yes. launched the rest of this sort of sub sub genre. That you know, for better or for worse. But um, yeah, I mean, the amount of catchphrases that she's <laughs> you know best. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, and we'll see her uh, working with Christopher Guest for a long time to come as we make our way through her filmography. Um, in 1998, she does Henry Fool, um, which launches the Henry Fool trilogy. Um, I watched one and a half of those movies. Um, <laughs> I felt like it was enough. Uh, I don't know <laughs> what there is to say um, about these movies, except they're exceedingly weird uh, to add to weird i guess you could say they're exceedingly drawl they're very like all the the acting point seems to be everybody play everything flat everybody play everything completely just as still as you possibly can and it's <laughs> they're not my favorite but it's interesting to watch <laughs> i will say i completely disagree i love hal hartley i think there's no filmmaker whose body of work i love more um the henry fool trilogy i i'm gonna be annoying now and say i kind of like it better as uh, one movie like i couldn't watch the one whole thing. you know i i i re i watched the henry fool trilogy recently and then for this i rewatched it, and there's just no way to break them apart even though they're all so different i really really love uh the symmetry of, of everything and the whole journey um i enjoy it more as a, <laughs> as a whole, all one movie all i can than, think of is that you watched like the Zack snyder justice league version of come on no god like you put uh, them all together like just like the <laughs> length of it it gets so long i don't no, come on. I, I, I will uh, no. say to defend my position, I don't think anybody's giving a bad performance. I don't want to say that anybody's doing anything. I feel like they're doing exactly what's being asked of them. And I, you know, I fucking love James Urbaniak. And, you know, in the in the third one, you get Aubrey Plaza. And I think she's an amazing addition to that cast in something that's not easy to add a new character into. Uh, but they just they didn't all work for me. That's all. Uh, no, but I will say I do have I do struggle with as much as I love Hal Hartley stuff. I do struggle with the Henry Fool trilogy for a variety of reasons. I love how ambitious it is, though. And Faye's the character she plays, Faye Grimm, her whole journey throughout 
these films, like even within Henry Fool, like it's it's a long movie, I know, but like the last like movement of it, like she is now, it's like a weird, I don't know if he envisioned it as a trilogy, <laughs> but like he definitely tees it up like it is, like because then we're getting Faye from Faye Grimm uh, at the end of Henry Poole. Um, it's, uh, it, I, uh, look, I know it's a bit of a challenge, uh, but that's all by design. And that's kind of what I love about it. And I love her in all of them. Fulbright, they were gonna kill my son. Faye, trust me, we'd never want to go that far. Oh, what? Look what they did to her face. Is it bad? It becomes you. Don't you dare flirt with me, Fulbright. What happened in South America? That same year to go into You've Got Mail, which is, I believe, her first uh, studio film. Um, correct if I'm wrong. So Nora, the, she and Nora Ephron were like really close. Yeah, right. And, um, so she had been trying to get her into one of the movies. Like she has an amazing deleted scene from Sleepless in Seattle that everyone should just pause this right yeah. now and go watch it. It's phenomenal. And that was 93. So that was like early, early, way early. earlier. Um, and, and, and she's also she, briefly in mixed nuts in the beginning right, and the she, end. And then yes, you've got mail. She's absolutely phenomenal. And I think like it was clear that, you know, this part was written for her. There's a line where Tom Hanks says uh, she makes coffee nervous, <laughs> which is so perfect and brilliant. I, I yeah. mean, I, I can't think of a more inspired pairing to than to have her be Tom Hanks's selfish girlfriend. They're so good together. The scene where they're trapped in the elevator and everybody's going around saying like what they're going to do if they get out of the elevator. And when he starts and she just completely <laughs> steamrolls over him. Yeah, she's, I mean, it takes an extreme <laughs> talent, I think, to pull focus from America's sweetheart, Tom Hanks. If I ever get out of here, I'm having my eyes lasered. Well, if I ever get out of here. Where are my Tic Tacs? Huh? What? Yeah, I mean, it's the thing with that movie and they're like, they're wrong for each other from the start. Like that's, it's not, it doesn't even come into question because you know they're not gonna last. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, she's such a force in that movie. Yeah, doesn't Nora Ephron like turn it, like she becomes this like kind of movie godmother to her um, and just has lots of like really nice things to say about her. They were, like you said, Jesse, they were really close. But so, I mean, we're getting out of the nineties now. Were there any other nineties movies you guys wanted to briefly mention? I just want to say that she did um, a, a couple shorts with Hal Hartley, and one of them is called Opera Number One. It's so and it's, good. It's it's like seven minutes long. It's uh, Parker Posey, Adrian Shelley on rollerblades, lip syncing opera lyrics that explain the plot of the movie. It's basically the best movie I have ever seen, but I know it doesn't wow. quite qualify. <laughs> it just five um, star review. It's uh, yeah, I watched about fifty something movies in the past uh, few weeks for this and I, I did watch that one three times amazing it, yeah I mean just I just you know she she will do anything and she can do anything and I think that's like a lot of what the 90s are like her performances in the 90s and appearances are so great for the, the uh, one the, can I do one yeah. last plug for a 90s film so, um, there's a 1995 film called Drunks which I don't think fully all works but like it's first of all it's a cast it is such a cast and it's like Faye Dunaway and Richard Lewis. He's actually my, like, I like Richard Lewis a lot. I think the, 
making him the main character was maybe the downfall of the movie, but Diane Weiss, Kevin Corrigan, you get very young Callista Flockhart, you get Spalding Gray, who I love and am still upset about his suicide a decade on, um, Amanda Plummer, Sam Rockwell, and it's essentially just an AA meeting and everybody's sharing their stories and Parker Posey's monologue is absolutely fucking hilarious and immediately following her is fucking Faye Dunaway. Like, yeah, it's, it's totally worth your time to watch and check out. And, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's just this collection of people. And, um, I become political for the first time in my life. I went to the March in Washington, the pro-choice March. It was exhilarating. Helen Reddy saying, I am woman. I freaked. I freaked. It was incredible. I swear. I'm, I'm such a dyke sometimes. I'm such a dyke. You know, I mean, I'm not attracted to women, but but I feel like politically that that I could be a lesbian, you know, that whatever. But yeah, the march was great. The march was really great. I think it was like the closest thing that I ever got to living in the 60s. And they're all in the room together. Like that's the thing, like they've all gathered and they're all just like acting and watching each other act. And there's, when Parker Posey's doing her thing, Kevin Corgan's in the back just like watching her with the most awe (laughs) and admiration. It's, uh, I loved Drunks, I'm so glad you brought it up because I would have forgotten it. It's excellent. And and that's actually, that's, and thank you because you just reminded me, that was the, my other favorite thing about the movie was watching other actors act while watching an actor act and i know that sounds like a complicated thing but like you know parker's doing her thing you know not not even just kevin corgan watching diane weist watch Mm. parker posey is (laughs) i give me hours of it let me see the raw footage i i want it i want it all she kicks off the 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 millennium with scream three which I want to get into, but she also, she does a Broadway show. Um, she does uh, Elaine May's Taller Than a Dwarf with Matthew Broderick. Um, she She's on stage a couple more times, but I just thought, like, I was like, oh, nothing makes you a New York actor, like actually making it on stage. But so because, I mean, I think like getting into the aughts, she's labeled indie queen everywhere she fucking goes. People call her this indie queen, queen of indie, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, great, love that. Would love to just like get a good paycheck, would love a leading role, like, studio movies somewhere please god um and and literally it took i mean nora efron was a good friend to get her into a studio movie um and then in 2000 she's in scream 3 which uh i don't know how she got this role um but by god like she's so (laughs) fucking good and and like they're the studio movies that she does end up making in the aughts like i would say a lot of them make money um but it always seems like she she says like oh yeah, the director had to fight really hard for me to get this role. You know, it was like, she was never the studio's like first choice and that like continues to haunt her. But yeah, in Scream 3, she plays Jennifer Jolie, just full cuckoo bananas. I've said many times I'm I'm not a spooky bitch, but I mean, like, ever heard of camp? (laughs) Ever heard of wit? wit? Um, (laughs) Ever had fun? (laughs) Um, That's her. She, she said her favorite thing that she managed to get away with in Scream 3 is um, mouthing Courtney Cox's lines as Courtney Cox is saying them. Um, <laughs> not that as though she would know what Courtney Cox is going to say, but because she's this actress playing Courtney Cox's character in Stab 3, the movie within the movie, she like she's like, and so I just imagine I had this psychic connection with her and I would know what she was going to say before she said it. I, and I just and you can see it. You can watch it happen 
in the background, if you're paying attention to Parker Posey, she's literally doing Courtney Cox's Amazing. lines with her. Amazing. <laughs> she, yeah. It, when, her first appearance in that movie is she literally says that. She says, I've played you so many times now. It's like you're in my mind. <laughs> um, but, and then also in that scene is like one of my favorite bits of acting from her is when they're, Courtney Cox is not having it. And she's like the, the transition from Parker Posey being like suck up to being like adversary after Courtney Cox puts her down is like they're walking and it's just like one hair flip and then like complete transition 180 like oh we're enemies now like I was your biggest fan and now I'm your enemy it's the best oh my god Uh, I I know we've never met and I, I don't mind you never returning my calls but I have to tell you after two films I feel like I am in your mind Mm, well that would explain my constant headaches you know i'm sorry things didn't work out on 60 minutes too but total entertainment that's a pretty good fallback thank you i'm sorry that things didn't work out with brad pitt but being single that's a pretty good fallback gives me more time for my work after all gail weathers you're such a complex character and to be played by an actress with such depth and range she said the only like weird thing about doing that movie was having to die and you know mm-hmm. they they set up spoiler alert um sorry <laughs> the movie is 21 years old uh the movie can legally drink and she was not extreme four so fair yeah <laughs> fair That's game fair. Yeah. <laughs> um but she, she said you know Wes craven pulled her aside and was like okay well now now you're gonna you're gonna die why do those people even stay in those those movies i think anyone in a horror movie is kind of crazy um <laughs> So I, I got to have a lot of fun with that and until I had to die. And I died behind a mirror where uh, I could see them, but they couldn't see me. And Wes came up to me before the, the take and he said, okay, um, you're gonna take this seriously, right? You're, you're gonna die, this is when you die. It's not funny. And I was like, I know, I'm scared. Let's do it now. She said, I will not. (laughs) (laughs) And it does feel like, you know, she's like, she's crashing, you know, a studio movie. I mean, it was Dimension, so it's, you know, whatever. But it is like, watching that movie, it did, I remember the first time I watched it, like transitioning into like, oh, this is like a buddy comedy between Parker Mosey and Courtney Cox, you know? She delivers my favorite line out of any Parker Posey movie, and that it, which is after Gail hits her, and she then says, "My lawyer liked that." <laughs> so. Speaking of line readings, we completely Go glossed ahead. over her extended cameo in the Doom Generation. Yes, um, Gregor Rocky's film. She shows up for one scene. She pulls a sword onto James Duvall's uh, penis and says, "I'm gonna lop." his dick off like a chicken head that man that was a pitch perfect line reading bravo (laughs) wow yes uh it's in my bones uh that line it's like it's like cameron diaz and vanilla sky i swallowed your cum that means something level of like the greatest thing i've ever iconic lines iconic lines um also in 2000 uh we've got best in show which i think is her most iconic Christopher Guest role. I think people just know her as that woman with the hair and the braces and was like, who met her husband at the Starbucks, but not the same Starbucks, but the Starbucks across the street. <laughs> it's, I mean, the scene with like the, the bee 
there are so many fucking moments in this movie. Um, Meg Swan is her name. Um, mm. And it's just so fucking good. I, uh, I almost don't know if there's anything more to say other than she had real braces put on. Yes. The commitment. The commitment. Yeah. Like those are not, that's not like a teeth covering or, you know, like flippers mm-mm, or anything. Mm-mm. Those are real br- braces that she had she implanted went. on her teeth. That's orthodontia, babe. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I drag yeah. it. So. She's, she's so funny in that and like obviously so um, loud because she screams a, a ton um, and it's always funny. But my favorite bit of acting from her in that movie is when her dog uh, completely beefs it and gets thrown out of the thing and it cuts to her in the stand and she just shuts her eyes and drops her head into her hand and it's like it like sums up everything it's like the the dagger the twist it's like everything Mm -hmm. you know um i love it in 2001 maybe her most iconic role i don't know uh she plays fiona and josie and the pussycats which is a movie that i watched many times as a closeted homosexual uh, that I was what, in eighth grade when that movie came out. I watched it with my cousins. So everything she says, which is like, I love the thong. Excuse <laughs> me, I have something in my teeth. Like w- when she's like flipping around and the, the noises of the thing on that she's wearing. Yeah. Um, the, the Ooh, they almost got me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? I meant to say, we almost had a real moment there between you. <laughs> Uh, she the, says I, that's that's the one that like people yell at her the most in on the street they like people yell like fiona like kids she's like kids recognize yeah. me because josie and the pussycat has sort of come back around and and had its, it's reappraisal i i fucking love that movie i love the music i love everything about it i don't want to hear anything to the contrary <laughs> I, I saw it opening day, uh, first showing. I wore cat ears. Also, Ugh. April 9th, I believe, is, or it's like the anniversary, 20th anniversary is coming up. Like it's Ugh. basically tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've seen it, um, I don't know how many times. Yeah. Uh, I went to the concert that they had recently um, where they showed the movie, but beforehand they had a concert where Kay Hanley sang Josie and the Pussycat song. And oh my she said God. it's the only time that they've ever played those songs live and it Whoa. turned it was at the ace hotel in la and it was like it was the weirdest <laughs> most surreal <laughs> thing to be at a josie and the pussycats concert where we're all singing along to these fake songs yes. in this fake band um yeah she's obviously like uh i mean i don't it is one of her like Mount Rushmore. Yeah, she, uh, she's roles. having so much fun. She's just like, I mean, the movie itself, like, and again, she is a cartoon character. This movie knows exactly the tone yeah. it's going for and the style it's going for. And it, I mean, we have Missy Pyle, who is an icon as well. Yeah. Um, and and when they're like, <laughs> "What are you doing here?" and she's like, "I'm in the comics." Like, <laughs> it, it, the, the 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 movie is like, we're not gonna fuck reality, like because. In 2001, like reality was fucking insane. Like boy right. brands were insane. Britney Spears, like it, it, it all was cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. TRL. I mean, oh my god. Speaking of TRL, fucking Carson Daly, who was dating um, Tara Reid. Tara, Tara Reid at the time, and they like he tries to murder her. It's just well, it's I, too I think good. I think that's the unfortunate problem is like it's it, you know people 
bat this around all the time about other movies, but truly Josie and the Pussycats was ahead of its time. And the problem is, is when you're in the middle of something, when you're, when it's happening, no one really wants to joke about it. Nobody really wants to take the piss out of it. And I think there's a lot of things really aimed, like really targeted, um, heat seeking in that movie that people weren't ready to like face up to, but now right. we can look at it. Now we can watch that opening with DuJour and instantly recognize it as like the Backstreet Boys in sync crazy right. fandom and and the way that like corporations sell us stuff. And I don't know. It's it's really brilliant. And I'm glad it has gotten that reappraisal that I'm still waiting for Clock Watchers to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josie and the Pussycats is just it's it's too smart for how silly it is. Yeah. And it's something that people like you know, there's a very specific audience for it, like people who just tap into it. I think it has this, it's like cut from the same cloth as Wayne's World, which is another yep. movie that I yep. love and watched a million times. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all um, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. They're actually like, they were so good at what they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be great if they could do something like that again. Excellent work, Fiona. These kids will never know what hit them. And neither will you. I'm sorry, what was that? Huh? What? You just said something. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I said, these kids will never know what hit them, and then you said, and neither will you. I did? We all heard you. I didn't watch this next thing, but I wanted to mention it because she did get an Independent Spirit Award nomination, and that's 2002's Personal Velocity. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's early, like... 2000s digital uh it's i mean it's always going to be fascinating to look back on these things but this is like this is kind of right the beginning of her like more dramatic stuff so we're seeing her even more like in the real world um and how she transitions and translates that way speaking of like transitioning and transition i mean so she does a mighty wind in 2003 um i think what's more interesting is in 2004 she does blade trinity which is not a good movie but her as a villainous vampire, that's fucking like next level, top notch, so so fucking fun. In 2006, uh, she returns with Christopher Guest in For Your Consideration. Uh, she returns to the Henry Fool trilogy in Faye Grimm, which is her own um story. Um, but also I think uh Maybe my favorite. Oh, so in 2006, she also does Superman Returns. Uh, Kitty Kowalski. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she, and, she's and- essentially Lex Luthor's Miss Tetzmacher in that yeah. movie. And it sucks to have to talk about Brian Singer at all in any way, shape, or form. But that movie is essentially like Ghost directed by Richard Donner. So <laughs> I, I think it's okay there. I mean, she like has said, you know, they they wanted her because they wanted someone to like be able to stand up to Kevin Spacey's like crazy antics. And she fully is vibrating at the same level. Um, And, and what I thought when I watched this was just like, why wasn't she cast as Harley Quinn? You know, like (laughs) I, I just think she is like, she's, she could live in the Batman forever universe, you know, like, Yes, it's it's that level of like commitment. She could be fully giving us the like neon calypso, cuckoo bananas, uh, 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 like poison, like Uma Thurman, poison ivy shit. Like if only it, 
It is a Joel Schumacher Batman movie performance in yes. something that is probably objectively fine, but like, Meh. you know, it's yeah. not on that level at all. Right. Maybe the most interesting, I think, thing that she did in 2006, though, was um, the Owen Ohio, um, which I was watching and my mom was listening and she said, what are you watching? And I said, no, <laughs> don't, don't, this is not for your ears. <laughs> um, to, which This movie feels like a movie that she has made early in her career. Yes. But... It is fully in 2006. Uh, right. It, and it's... And it's notable Notable for Liza Minnelli's scene uh, where... Um, <laughs> what is she... She says, uh, the greatest power on earth is masturbation or yes. something. Yeah. But what class is she teaching? Where it's she's getting saying to, this? getting to like know your vagina. It's getting, so funny. Right. It's so funny too because it's like we've seen the serious version of that scene. You know, we talked about fried green tomatoes during our Kathy Bates, and there's that whole like look at it in the mirror thing, yes. and they do yes. that in this movie, but it's the comedy version. Um, and I don't know. I I thought that I liked this movie. I know yeah, it, I it doesn't have the the best reputation. I find, but um, also like. I don't know, more like weird romantic pairings. I don't I don't know if I want to say too much in case people want to see it, but there's a there's like a a winter summer romance towards the end of that film that I was just like, oh, there's some well, like right, stuff we could analyze here. <laughs> I also love that like I mean basically the movie is just about a woman who is I don't want to, is, is frigid the right word? I, like she does not like her That's the word vagina. they keep using. So. Right. I mean, so she basically discovers masturbation. She surprised loves it. And, um, but she can't, because the whole thing is she, she's never come before or she's never had an orgasm before. Her and Heather Graham hook up. Um, and it's like so non-judgmental. She's just kind of like, you know, yeah, like this is, we're, try, we're doing this for science. Um, <laughs> but what I love the most about this movie is like the committal to like, no, I just want to orgasm. I don't want to settle down, actually. In the end, she's just like, let's just have fun. It doesn't matter. It's it's very similar to um, a movie that she did before that called Misadventures of Margaret that I, um, it's not available um, streaming, sadly. Um, I ordered the VHS. It's actually really great. It's like a throwback screwball comedy um, that's really witty. And um, she... Same in that she plays somebody who marries Jeremy Northam, probably too young, and then later on uh, thinks starts to think that maybe she hasn't had the life experiences that she should have. So she <laughs> she goes on this sort of like journey of like sexual discovery, and there's a scene in it where she's trying to seduce Brooke Shields. Amazing. Um, and <laughs> the way she does it is she says, "So tall." <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, it's around like this time she I mean, she's talked a lot about how it was hard times in in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, she does uh, Broken English in 2007, um, which was directed by Zoe Cassavetes. She talks about how, you know, she was shocked at how hard it was to get financing for that film. She was like, no, this is a daughter of a famous person. Hello, Hollywood, like nepotism, do your thing. <laughs> um, you know, it it went to Cannes. It did the whole thing. Um, she got an, a nod for an independent spirit award. You know, it doesn't, I think, make as much of a splash as she thought it would have. Um, it's a perfectly lovely film that I think the Before trilogy has already done. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing, right? Is it comes out three years after Before Sunset and then ends the exact same way. And I was yeah. like, no, don't. Yes. No, no, Zoe. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I wish that movie was like more loose yeah. and more sort of like, because I think 
I mean, I'm sure because you know, General and her, the director's mom is right. in it, and right. and right. it really like all the scenes because she's really only in it to say to Parker Posey, who plays her daughter, like, uh, you need to get married. When are you going to get married? It's like. And that always introduces like plot to this thing that should just be very loose and hangouty. And I, I also think that that movie should take place mostly in France because yes. all the France stuff is really great. Yes, yeah. I couldn't like I was like the whole Justin Thoreau actor like thing. I was like, why? Who cares? Like, especially is... once it goes away, yeah. it's like, oh, well, that didn't really expose that much about her character, anyways. Other than she's unlucky in love, which could have. Give, been delivered to us in a couple lines that movie was that movie was at the height of when i was working at filmmaker magazine and i just remember there were like posters in the office and every everybody was very excited for it and i didn't watch it until just a week ago <laughs> but See, i and i feel like that was like everyone with that movie like it yeah. was being pushed as this big deal and then it just wasn't as we get into the, the later aughts and then the 2010s you know, it kind of, and I, I texted you, Gavin, about this. I was like, God, these later movies, it's a lot of work, you know, getting through uh, these. We've got Spring Breakdown, which is just hot garbage. Um, Happy Tears, which is a movie that I don't even n- know what what it is, why it is. Um, you can uh, pay me to watch it again. <laughs> uh, we get Price Trek, Highland Park. Um, she talks a lot about, you know, Woody Allen kind of resuscitated her career a little bit in the mid aughts, which is unfortunate. I, I, I watched, I watched Irrational Man. I did not watch Cafe Society. Um, I was just going to say, and like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor on him, but I purposely didn't watch either of these movies. And I know that they are, um, major points in her current career. And like you said, you know, she has done so many interviews where she's mentioned, you know, being able to return to him as an auteur really revitalized right. her career for herself. But, you know, I <laughs> I didn't need the documentary that was on HBO Max to tell me Woody Allen's a creep, but I did watch right. the Alan V. Farrow. And Miriam Bale said something in it that I just really took to heart, which was the, she was like, I'm not watching any more Woody Allen movies, and I'm not talking right. about any more Woody Allen movies until, probably until he's dead. Because all I'm doing is I'm perpetuating him. I'm making him money. I'm keeping him in the zeitgeist. And I was just like, you know what? I don't have to watch these movies. I don't. And so, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of like, I mean, I I did go back and forth. I was like, should I watch this? I I finally really, I was like, I'll watch one of them. Um, And I watched Irrational Man. And I, I guess all I can say is that like, for a movie that just normalizes Emma Stone, the student fucking her professor and like, everyone knows it's not even a secret like it feels like even her parents know everyone fucking knows and i'm like oh in woody allen's fucking world it's just very normal for joaquin phoenix to be fucking his student and that's i guess all you need to know about the um ethos of that movie um well if you're gonna watch one of them you watch the right one because she doesn't do much in cafe society i she's it's unfortunate that you know it's in a later woody allen movie but her performance in irrational man is excellent yeah yeah she's great yeah. In it. it's it's one of the it's the only like unfortunate thing and i totally understand where she's coming from um and it's not just about woody allen you know she she also she was doing like louis on tv with louis ck right. and talked about like how great of an experience that was and how you know really it, you know the auteurs have fled to television and i don't think she's wrong to say any of these things but i've also run into a bunch of different interviews with her where she's talked about the the sort of cancel culture thing and 
Yeah. It always bothers me when a when a well, she, well-established person and I get I understand that that fear and whatnot and and she's not she's certainly not the worst of it but the I, she doesn't she doesn't need to defend these people. Right. I think it's call-out culture that is upstaged storytelling, auteurs, great artists. And it makes me incredibly sad because I think stories in the screen of movies, television, these things that we hold in our hands can make us feel connected, entertain us, and make us nicer, more compassionate, and more interested in each other. In 2016, she also does Mascots, which was kind of like the uh, return of Christopher Guest. Um, we talked about that as well. Um, she's the best part of the movie. Everything else is kind of boring and dumb. Um, and the last- Hold on. You get the return of Corky St. Clair. You get the return of Christopher Guest's best character. Like, He's and they have a moment. It. He doesn't need to be in it anymore. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, like, um, and they have a moment. Those two, I mean, she's playing a different character. Right. But she may as well have been Libby Mae Brown because, like, she's somebody whose, you know, career was made by Corky. And they have, like, a beautiful moment that I hadn't seen Mascots. I think I tried at the time when it premiered. But I was like, I can't watch another Christopher Guest movie and not like it. So I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to shut it off before that wow. happens. But I was happy to watch it now where there's no stakes for, yeah, <laughs> for me. I you get know? that. I get like, that. I'm like, you know, over it and a person now who's like more well-rounded and does, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> when that happened, because I was completely, I didn't know that was happening. And I was like emotional about wow, it. Wow. Jesse Knight, mascot Stan, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> The things, the things I will do for Zach Woods, you know. Um, and then I think like the last thing that she's made was 2019's Elsewhere, which is kind of like a sappy, yeah. uh, little thing, which is you know not bad. I, but I, I like that there's every now and then in her career there's like a moment where she's like, listen, I'm gonna do the complete, like I'm gonna give you the performance that you would expect anyone else to give. And I don't, I don't mean that as like a negative, but like that's the Elsewheres of the world where it's just like. There's nothing super recognizably like there's hints, you know, she she's very connected into her own spirituality and everything. But there's there's nothing like super over the top Parker Posey. I think the other big um, uh, thing of that for me was that she does this small film in 2003 called The Event, where she plays a, a, a district attorney or an assistant, an ADA, um, trying to figure out how this man died um, which was an assisted suicide because he was dying of AIDS. And it's the most straightforward I think I've ever seen a Parker Posey role. And I, I think that every now and then she likes to just pull it out of her arsenal. And she's like, yeah, I can do this, whatever. Like, I, I don't right. have to do the thing that you love me for, but also like, don't take it for granted. <laughs> the thing is that I don't think she is aware of that thing. That's that true. Yeah. When I, I saw a rational man at the Academy member screening, um, and normally there's a panel of guests afterward, but for that one, it was just Parker Posey. Oh, wow. And um, the moderator at some point um, referred to her character as outrageous. And she like stopped and like cocked her head and said, you think she's outrageous? Yeah. And, you know, he like is a pro and was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like so tense that I could have like stood up with the seat like, <laughs> attached to my buttocks, you know? Um, and I realized then that like she doesn't see herself this way. She's just playing these characters how 
she interprets them, you know, like, is Darla outrageous or is she just like an asshole teen, you know, right, or like, right. um, or like insecure or whatever. And like, I just think you can, the, when it doesn't work is when she's cast in roles that you expect her to be cast in, like price check is one of those. And the love guide is another yeah. one, which is where she's like, I mean, I think she plays a character called like love good or something. Like Angelica she plays Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yeah. So like it's, it, it, it's too obvious and there's not much for her to do. There's not like the nuance that we, you know, may not have realized that we enjoy her for. But I think we're, you know, all these archetypes are all inside of us to, to work through, to listen to, to be conscious of, to, um, you know, to play with. And, and we should be playing with it, you know? We should be acting out and in a, in a safe space, you know? Um, I think, well, you know, why is Halloween so popular? What, are, what is everyone getting out of dressing up for Halloween, you know? Or, or Comic-Con, you know? There's a real, like, desire to, to break out of our skins and to be something bigger something more different you know we mentioned a little bit here and there about her tv stuff she's done a lot of tv um you know she was in a couple episodes of will and grace uh she was in a couple episodes in boston legal uh parks and rec she had a, a moment the good wife uh like you mentioned in louis i think she was kind of really gutted when he decided to kill her in that movie uh, in that show um, that's that's true. That's a big part of her memoir is yeah. that whole process. It's really really interesting. Like that, I think is like the clearest insight we get into her emotional process with roles and how how closely she feels to them. Um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite parts of the book as well. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, she's like, I think TV is kind of where these like the risks that she is usually like taking as an actor like the creative people on tv or like that's where those risks are being taken more than films now and i just think like it's kind of i don't know i mean it's i'm glad there's a spot for that um you know she's a regular on lost in space which i've only seen gifts of you know like <laughs> right, right. a second of it after 1998, you know, and movies changed a lot. You know, the 90s mm -hmm. were like the 70s and auteur filmmaking. It's on television now. So and movies are more, um, they're more studio type films and financing is world, you know, comes from foreign financing and it's worldwide. Mm -hmm. So movies have to ha have a broader appeal. We have video games now. So we're in a culture that is so fast and it's very masculine, and the culture is eating nature. It's overpowering storytelling, period. We have boys and video games. We have girls in video games. This, the Hunger Games was, uh, turn it, movies are turned into games now, and it's fast, and we're in a very, we're in a culture of time, and, uh, and not of depth or storytelling or mystery or it, we need answers. We, we're, we're becoming like image. It's about the image and the passing of the image and not about nuance. We've kind of come like to the end of her, like, I mean, now she, she did a really excellent episode of High Fidelity, Rest in Peace. Um, the uh, best. Truly. Um, and she's, I think like the last season of Lost in Space is about to come out. 
Um, she also did uh, Amy Sherman Palladino's uh, sitcom, The Return of Jezebel James, yeah. where it's her, she and Lauren Ambrose are the leads in that. And I, I think it aired three episodes of seven or something. Um, it's something that I'm glad happened, but I'm glad didn't continue. I, I get that. I, I totally get where you're coming from on that. But I did see all three of those episodes when they aired. <laughs> Let me tell you, I was me, there. Me too. Yeah. That was uh, musty TV, huh? <laughs> um, and, and so that kind of like gets us to, to where we are now. You know, I think she's uh, obviously when her book came out, there, she was doing a lot of press for that and just talking about, you know, the pitfalls of being this perceived indie queen um, and, and, and fully just being like, you know, I'll just say it like Hollywood doesn't know what to do with me. Um, we live in a very masculine kind of world right now. There's not a lot of, I think maybe the tide maybe is turning, um, you know, uh, she said, because I think the tide is turning on like queerness and like campiness. And I think there hopefully is a place for her, um, you know, coming soon. Um, who knows? Uh, but you know, there, at the end of part of her career, you know, where we, where we would just were, uh, you know, she, she, she was going through it for a little bit. Yeah. She had to sell her, her apartment in the East village cause she couldn't afford anymore. Um, you know, she, uh, I think still lives, um, I know she has like a, um, a barn in upstate New York that she, she loves. You um, can she see loves- it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> she like loves doing yoga and like throwing clay. Um, she is that artsy girl um, and she is the icon. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about before we move into our picks? The only one other movie that we completely skipped over that I did want to bring up um, because it's a basically nothing role, but I love what she does with it is um, the terrible 2014 Grace of Monaco. Um, but <gasps> yes. She, oh my God. She plays Madge, um, who is uh, Grace Kelly's servant um, in in their castle Mansion. in Monaco. Yeah. In Monaco. And, you know, the whole movie's like <laughs> about Grace Kelly trying to get into the life of a princess and diplomat. and But it's also through the lens of Hitchcock very poorly. And the thing that it's like such a nothing role that Parker does, but the thing that she does brilliantly is she seems to have been directed to walk into rooms, stare disapprovingly, and then leave those rooms. Done. It's great. And that's it. We got it. We got it. You killed that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I have I have three. Uh, but I'll try to be quick about it. Um, I She doesn't have much to do in it, but I, it's a movie I adore and I love it more every time I watch it. It's um, The Anniversary Party from 2001, directed, um, written, and starring Alan Cumming and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, it's just... Uh, I know it's a movie like it like really rubs people the wrong way, but like I just think it's like kind of... I don't know how much of it was improvised, but it's kind of like what I want Christopher Guest movies to be when they're not good. You know, like it's just like you are satirizing because it's all a, like Kevin Klein is playing a version of himself. Phoebe Case is playing a version of herself. Like they're all in it, like really blo- like taking their worst qualities and just exploding them. Um, it's a really great movie. Um, Columbus is again like she doesn't have much to do uh, i mean she does but she's not the center of that movie um it's a beautiful movie um and then <laughs> uh, i know one of you thinks this is a bad movie i think it's great this is the one uh the first one that i watched that i thought was like oh i'm glad there are some gems in this deep cut uh, are these deep cuts um 
Adam and Steve. Oh, yeah. Oh. I do think it's a bad movie. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> From the mid-2000s, uh, she, it's, like, it's like a very raunchy but sweet gay uh, yes. New York City rom-com. And she plays the best friend. Um, I loved this movie. It is, <laughs> her. I think it's like, she's just spitting diamonds like left and right. Oh, she's, she's great. Uh, She's not my problem with the movie. Those I leads have no movie, chemistry. Literally, literally, they're adorable. No, and no. Craig Craig Chester, who directed the movie and is uh, the lead in the movie, um, is clearly one of her friends. He yes. pops up in a lot of her yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, I definitely remember watching that in my like. There's, I feel like every young homosexual just like tries to find any any gay movie ever. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I did not rewatch that, but I remember watching it. It was a staple <laughs> on logo. Was, oh, that, yeah, that makes yeah. very good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I grew up, I grew up with logo. Logo grew up with <laughs> me. Um, we were watching pre Drag Race. Okay, let's get into our picks. Let's start with our one star views. Jesse, I know this must be very hard for you to to speak ill of your dear dear Parker, um, but that's the name of the game, babe. So, I, uh, who, who, <laughs> what are you saying is your one star review? Uh, I hate talking shit, and you, and like I said before, you know, it's like the stuff that doesn't work. It just it's like <clears throat> she's just it's just because she's miscast or the project just like doesn't know what to do with her. Um, there are quite a few of those, <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm just kind of picking. I don't know, maybe the worst time I had watching one. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope this is okay. I'm going to go with Spring Breakdown. Do yes. it. That's the correct um, answer, because that's also my answer. Really? Yes. No. Then maybe I should pick another one. No, I mean, please. I, I would love to hear you. <laughs> please. I just, like, she's one of three leads in it. The other three are Rachel Dratch, who I think is hilarious, and Amy Poehler, who I just feel like, does she, is she contractually obligated to say holla back girl in every mm, single thing mm -hmm, she's in? Because mm -hmm. um, that happens, I feel like, every 15 minutes in this movie. Um, it's just like a miserable... There's one know. one good joke in this movie, and it's um, the four Sezones. Everything else um, I, I is is bad. And, and the, the thing that I think about... I mean, there's a lot that's bad with this movie. Um, not Missy Pyle though, because she's a gem and icon. Um, the there are good people in it. Like Amber Tamlin shows up. Like it's yes. and uh, Mae Whitman's in it with like a page boy haircut. Yeah. Like it's all like kind of like everything. Maybe that's what it is. It's like everything that happens should be working, but it like nothing does. Yeah. And even yeah, like Parker Posey just feels very like a rare sort of out of place feeling I got from her in that. Well, I mean, I think like the, the studio movies, big movies, like I think she is always going to deliver like specificity. This movie is going for broad, yeah. you know, and they ask her to just like, hey, not don't use any of your acting superpowers in this movie. Just be the most bland and like boring um, sad characters. I mean, th this movie is an SNL sketch gone on far too long. And I mean, literally, it's just littered with like, you know, all the SNL people of the time. I think like what was kind of also sad to me, I was like, I think this is like when Amy Poehler and Tina Fey thought they had to like be really fucking skinny to be like stars um, because she's like just a tiny little being in this. And it's just like feels uncomfortable to me. Um, but yeah, this movie is, she's like uh, Jane Lynch's like legal aid or whatever. Jane Lynch right. is like a fucking senator who wants to be vice president. 
she goes to spring break in South Padre to like stalk her daughter who is Amber Tamlin so she doesn't get into trouble. Um, there's also this like mirror thing of like three best friends who are nerds 10 years ago right. and three best friends who are nerds now. It was, it was miserable. This movie, They also made this movie like in it at Sundance, everyone was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it sat on a shelf for a couple years, to my knowledge as well. Right. Like, and then it went direct to video. Right. Right. Um, Which I, I didn't realize until just now that it went straight to video. So it feels a little unfair that like, <laughs> oh, everyone knew this movie didn't work. Um, well, but I it think really, it's because like, Warner Pictures Independent or whatever the fuck oh, like went under. Shut down. Warner's yeah, yeah, premiere, if you will. Um, it's, yeah, like I said, I mean, it, it almost feels like of another time like this movie was made in like 2001 when you know people thought like yeah let's just make a movie about bitches and spring break and like well, it's well, like it's like yeah i, I was ahead. just gonna say yeah it's incredibly derivative you know you already have yes. the it's like it's old school it's back to school and and the, the idea that <laughs> like it, it's the movie doesn't even have any faith in itself like when they question parker posey about the fact that she's a student she's like oh i'm a student too and they're like you are and she's like a uh, grad student and then like it just it the line delivery on it and everything is just like okay well if if you can't buy into your premise i'm not gonna buy into your premise the only person who buys into the is missy Pyle. i, I really yeah. think she's so fucking good in this movie like her she's good at everything though her commitment <laughs> to her drunk bitch character who like runs the front desk at the four sezones um is is hilarious um everything else about this movie like just fucking leave it it's it's bad i want to go with you becky where to spring break you do let's go we never went to spring break in college i could trade in my first class tickets for three coaches I don't have a suite at the Four Seasons. Ah! Oh, I've never stayed at a Four Seasons. This is the kind of vacation that we need. We do need to shake things up a little bit. Wait, what would Honey want us to do? <laughs> hey, Becky. You really need to bury that cat. So excellent pick, Jesse, and I can't believe we're <laughs> I can't believe we're best friends now, and agree, <laughs> I, and agree on everything. It's amazing. Uh, Justice for Rachel Drafts, though. She yeah. deserves. She deserves. Uh, the best she, and, she does and it's really unfortunate that she like she gets a co-writing credit on it too yes. i believe i mean it was clearly yeah she well it's a co-story credit yeah um with the director and um yeah. it was obviously meant to be something that um yeah didn't translate gavin to get us out of here what is your one star review you know i mean i i wholeheartedly agree with both of you so i don't want to but i i do think that both of you really missed out on the treat of 2011's wwe feature inside out Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. so this is not pixar's inside out starring <laughs> amy poehler um <laughs> <laughs> this is a convoluted um movie that starts off with michael rapaport narration and essentially um Triple H, the wrestler, um, yes. has has been Her arrested uh, from Blade Trinity. Yes, yes, yes. and that's why I I was like, oh, maybe she did it as a because she likes working with people. That one hundred percent, they clearly got along, and he was probably like, I have a part for you, and she showed up and <laughs> continued. Please. Um, so he's an ex-con. He just gets out of prison after um, serving 13 years for manslaughter, um, only to find that Michael Rappaport, his best friend, Jack Small, has um, married his uh, ex, um, Parker Posey. Um, when that happens. And, and they have a kid together in the like most obvious twi- twist that it's clearly triple h's kid and i thought that was i thought that was clear from the beginning so when there's like finally a scene about it like in the third act i was like 
no one else knew this? I was like, well, the child does have his hair pulled back into a tiny ponytail and is... He's doing uh, suplexes on everyone he meets. Absolutely, um, yeah. But somehow this film also got Bruce Dern um, involved. Uh, Bruce Dern plays... Um, uh, Michael Rappaport's father and essentially he's uh, buying counterfeit cigarettes and uh, charging twice the price for them and avoiding paying taxes that's right this is a crime movie about tax evasion mm-hmm. um, and everything just gets like super convoluted from there there's multiple deaths there's a suicide and all this time like Parker I feel like every time you see Parker Posey she's like at the kitchen counter like making a sandwich or something like there's right. even a scene where he like sleeps with her and I'm pretty sure like the next day it's just like and I'm back in the kitchen just making mm-hmm. a sandwich but women should only be in the bedroom or the kitchen Gavin <laughs> the, that's yeah. how it goes and it's just this it's this tonal nightmare of a movie it's um it's not confusing, but it's convoluted. Like the plot just keeps going to places. You're just like, why are we here now? Why are, like what? Is, what is happening? I wish I could remember the name of the of the actress that plays Bruce Dern's bodyguard. But there's this woman who, like, I think it's one of, it's supposed to be one of those things where it's like, wow, she's a you know she's a tough woman. She's kicking ass, and she, and it's just like, yeah, but she's not emoting. And mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. We need that that's called acting um it's just it's just a total mess but essentially you know uh michael rapaport accidentally kills a man and and triple h tries to cover for him and um oh and also triple h only wants to make pickles and that's like his his like post prison dream job it's an it's a weird sort of uh addition to the the uh unofficial series of films about pickling like um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, crossing galancy and uh (laughs) the cobbler and it's it's funny that uh, unbeknownst to most people this is in fact an unofficial follow-up to crossing delancey and (laughs) you would think that maybe that's not true because it doesn't contain any of the characters but you'd be wrong um Uh, it's not that tonally off because <laughs> this movie is like you know the cover looks like an action thriller you're right it's like a very very like low-key yeah crime drama like, yeah I, I, more people die in that movie by accident <laughs> than they do right. by like any sort of action scene or yeah i just could not get into parker's character at all and it, like she i mean she was window dressing and i felt i felt sort of bad because I don't know. There's so many interesting things she could do. And I don't know. She got paid. I I can't fault her for getting paid. There's that. And that, and that is the most anyone has ever talked about mm-hmm. Hardy Mandelberg's directorial debut <laughs> inside. Of. I know I was, it's funny because I, I was really, you know, maybe a day before that I saw, um, happy tears for the first time. And I was just like, Oh boy, I don't, I don't ever want to see this movie again. And I was like, I hate these characters. I don't want to spend any more time with them. And then I saw this and I was just like, I don't know, maybe I could revisit happy, <laughs> happy tears. tears. Happy tears is a masterpiece. Yeah. Why did you never come to see me? I was alone. I was broke, scared, pregnant and heartbroken. And Jack was there for me. And he loved me and I loved him, but it wasn't like it was with us. And he knew that and the guilt was just eating us alive. It was... What, what, what did you just say? I couldn't face you. No, no, no. Before that, you said you were pregnant and Jack was there for you. That 
is yours, AJ. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I honestly thought that it would, it would bring you more pain. I guess this is a good time to, to uh, talk about any other things that we didn't particularly like. Happy Tears um, excluded. <laughs> um, the, I mean, there's a couple films that I don't necessarily think that she's bad in, but were not fun to watch. Um, one of which is being 2018's The Con is On, which is on Netflix, where everybody's sort of doing a different thing, which I think is ma- like the... I, I think the plot's not great in that movie, but also like you have Uma Thurman, uh, Tim Roth, Crispin Glover, all, all these people, Maggie Q, like all these people I like and I've seen in things that I like, but they're all just like, they're it's, it's like impromptu jazz, but like nobody's ever picked up their instrument before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sofia Vergara as well too. Actually, I don't like what she's doing in the movie, but everybody else is... <laughs> is uh, doing something. Another, another thing that's like on the level of, of what we're talking about, but I it's kind of fascinating to, to watch and think about is she did a, uh, it was a failed pilot for a series for um, about Frankenstein. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like Frankenstein meets uh, David Fincher seven. And she plays um, one of the detectives. It's her and Adam Goldberg who are after, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it makes no sense. And all of it is shot as if it's like, it's all modeled after the opening credits of seven, (laughs) (laughs) like not the movie of seven, but the credits. Um, It's by Marcus Nispel, who did the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th. So that's very much like his palette. Um, It's terrible. Like another (laughs) pilot, like another thing that I'm like, it's kind of interesting that it happened, but so glad it didn't continue. She is fully out of her element in it. I mean, the script couldn't be worse. Like the dialogue could not be worse that she's forced to say, but it's like pure snark. It's just, it's like mid 2000s dreck. Like the yeah. absolute, like worst tropes of the mid 2000s um, all around summed up here. It's it's like based off like a Dean Koontz novel or something. And I, I feel so bad if I'm <laughs> assigning it to Dean Koontz and it's not actually him, but I know it was based off of one of those popular like thriller or, um, horror novels at the time that was that you could pick up in any supermarket. I rem- I saw it when it aired because I think it was on USA, but I think it's a, it's available on Amazon if you really want to go down that path. Um, right, but... it was turned right. It was turned into it was a failed pilot that they turned into a movie that was on USA or something. Yeah, I think she is doing a very weird thing in Highland Park. Which I I don't know why she's like this southern woman in Detroit, um, but. <laughs> pop off um and then at least she's doing something yeah. in highland park everyone else is asleep in that movie yeah if it makes you feel better you just said highland park and i was like did i watch that and then i clicked on the thing and i was like oh i did so, <laughs> let's get into our five star reviews jesse hit us all right so i do think that there is like an objective best Right. Okay. Like I said, like the Mount Rushmore, and I hope they're all well represented here. Um, as much as I love Guffman, as much as I, as I love Josie, um, I just feel like if I were to, given like the mission to like represent like pick one movie that represents Parker Posey, like everything that she does, uh, everything we love about her, like the period that you know uh, was so important to her and that she was so important to. Um, I think it's like no question um, the house of yes. Mm, excellent. It's just, it's, <laughs> uh, it's just like 
and on other levels too, I just like I love the movie so well. I love or so much. I love the the rhythm of it. I love incest movies, which you know, <laughs> I it's that's just, a subgenre I, we will be tackling very soon. <laughs> great, great. I have I have thoughts. Um, it's uh, yeah, I love how dark it is. I love how she's always on that high wire of um, letting us know who she is, and you know, similar to Jason, confused, I guess, but like. She's actually dangerous in House of Yes. Yep. And um, it's always exhilaratingly fun and terrifying and hilarious and also sad. Like she's playing every kind of side of whatever condition, you know, she actually would have in, in life, you know, or like multiple conditions. It's um, it's the best. And what all the awards she won for it, completely well-deserved. I love that it's the thing that kind of launched her into more of a spotlight, even if it wasn't her, like, like right. total breakout. Right. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think like, what you, you, you said it really well about, like, kind of seeing all the sides of whatever thing she is going through. I think for me, like, as the movie keeps going on, you start realizing it's not just her. Like there yeah. is like this environment around her, all these people that are like, they make you really fucking think her brother is just like this easy breezy, cool guy. No bitch. He's a fucking weirdo too. And so is the mom. Like they are all just like, you know, poisoned with this like tragedy that has happened that, you know, you can kind of like uh, connect the dots to uh, this really fucking tragic event that happened. And that kind of like broke them all. Um, it's, it's so good. It's the house of yes, the house where no one has ever heard the word no. Yeah, mm. it's it's funny too because uh, I think you said it so astutely too about how um, scary and sad and funny she is, and I think there's no better um, moment for that than towards the end when she starts to have because they describe sort of what happens when she has like a an you know an angry episode and she starts to have this moment and her mother you know yells for. Freddie Prince Jr. to go get her pills and she pulls herself together and you as an audience member know like no she's not okay like this is not this can't end well but I think she plays it so beautifully because she has to walk that high wire act of being convincing enough that her damaged family would believe that she has pulled herself back from this episode. What exactly are you doing, sweetheart? He's going to leave again. Jackie, don't be insane. I'm sorry. Mama, I mean... Mama, hold her. Hold her, hold her, hold her, hold her, hold her! Anthony! Anthony, get your sister her medication. You know where it is. No, Anthony. Don't bother. I'm fine. Really. I just got turned around for a second there. Everything's going to be okay. I know that. Silly me. I just haven't had my coffee yet. I haven't even gone to the bathroom. Mama, will you make us some coffee? Of course. Of course. I'm fine. I'll go out on and say it. Uh, House of Yes was also my five-star review. So so good on you for picking. I, I, I've loved this movie since I was a teenager. My sister rented it. Uh, oh God, from the VHS video store, Mr. Movie. And uh, they never hired me. I don't mm. have a grudge though. But um, yeah, I, I've loved this movie since I was a young teen. And I, I don't know if there's any better um, stage for her to just really pull out every single trick that she has. And, you know, as you said in, in the rewind, I, I don't think, 
you're right. I don't think that she fully mentally ever acknowledges that like these these characters are quirky or cartoony or and and I think that's what makes this work so well is that she feels real but it is so heightened and you're like constantly torn between laughing at her antics and just worried for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, so my five star review, um, this was like tough, but I think like, if I'm not being like dumb, uh, like I think it, <laughs> I, I mean, it really is. It, it has to be for me, 1995's party girl. Um, that was my I, second I choice. Like, so <laughs> like, like my teen self wants to pick Josie and the Pussycat, but Party Girl to me, I, I just feel like I've been to these parties and I I I know this girl. I want to hang out with this girl, um, and it it's so lived in. Um, I think also this like this kind of searching for like you know I, I think there's so many people who want to come to New York because they're, when they're young and they do this thing and they are going to they're living outside their means they're aiming for the stars um and 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 looking great like i don't know like i don't know how the fuck they do it they just they just always look great um and and then there comes a time when you like you're you're trying to reconcile like with reality um i also just think like the movie looks so fun um sounds amazing all the performances from all these like really great people um the fashion it just to me is like one of the most iconic like movies about New York. Um, and, and there's something like really special. Like I, I want to hang out in this world. I want to be part of, Oh my God, I just said part of this world. Lol. Um, also Mustafa is really, really hot. When that scene where he's talking about Turkish delight, I was like, Holy fuck. Um, <laughs> I also think it's, the movie is like really, really prescient talking about gentrification. Um, I mean, God, this was like the middle of the nineties and already like, talking about so many things that are still happening in New York today um, for some, for a movie that is so dated, it isn't dated, you know, like we know when you watch that movie, like it feels like a movie from nineties, but it doesn't feel outdated. Um, so yeah, my pick party girl. I guess you didn't know we have a system for putting books away here. No, I'm curious. You were just randomly putting that book on the shelf. Is that it? You've just given us a great idea. I mean, why are we wasting our time with the Dewey Decimal System when your system is so much easier, much easier? We'll just put the books anywhere. Hear that, everybody? Our friend here has given us a great idea. We'll just put the books any damn place we choose. We don't care, right? Isn't that right? You haven't taken a break all morning. Take a break. I just want to do a good job, Howard. You are doing a good job. Take a break. I'll cover. She is a smart woman and she is just coming to terms with it's the movie's never judging you know because everyone wants to like make it everyone wants to do the thing um and i think she just walks the line so i mean at the end when she's like at the party and she's like no i'm serious i want to go to grad school (laughs) um and and they're like god you are being such a fucking drag like can you just have fun um it's just like they're able to i mean kind of like you said jesse she's able to walk the line you know and and do this high wire act of doing it all so so fucking well and i I just don't i can't imagine that movie without without her you know without 
what is party girl without Parker Posey? It, literally the moment where we talked about Natasha earlier, like she's literally just standing, making faces. And I laugh every single time to be able to serve that much face <laughs> next to an actual iconic drag queen, Natasha Twist, who is voguing. And, and in most cases, a white dumb bitch just standing around a drag queen make you so furious literally yawning yeah, yeah. yeah. and she's <laughs> yawning and just like looking so annoyed she's wearing the gloves it, it it's it's unreal it's unreal only only yeah exactly only she could pull that off i actually know some real life librarians there are people that are librarians and apparently that movie is huge in the librarian crowd big so. and well, big in the library name yeah. another name another movie that <laughs> seen so many scenes in a library people are like oh that opening scene of the mummy we love it yeah yeah it's the mummy <laughs> that's all and Party Girl. um okay is there anything that we i mean jesse what is the mount rushmore than of parker posey like if we're, if we're i gonna- mean i think look, Look, like anybody's, I mean, sure, everyone's going to think differently. But I, I just think, I do think Guffman, House of Yes, Josie and the Pussycats. And then the fourth is sort of a toss-up between, you know, Party Girl and um, Best in Show, just because that character is so... Right. But I also think, like, you know, Best in Show is, I don't think, the worst Christopher Guest film, but I think it's probably the most uneven. Like, I think, you know, everyone's doing their best stuff in that movie is... Uh, all it's sort of counterbalance to like the worst stuff in it, which is maybe the worst uh, that's ever been in a Christopher Guest movie. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, don't know. Yeah. I think that's that pretty much sums it up. I think, yeah, totally. I absolutely agree. Gavin, is there anything else that you wanted to give a shout out to? Just once again, Clock Watchers, and I'm just gonna keep saying it so someone eventually goes and watches it. Um, <laughs> yes, from listening to this episode, Clock Watchers, Clock Watchers, do it, it's worth it. Um, absolutely. Um, so now we can do our mixed reviews review. My and Jesse, our one star review was 2009 Spring Breakdown, and my one star review was 2011's Inside Out. Once again, not the cartoon. <laughs> um, my five star review was 1995's Party Girl, and and Jesse, both of us, like, look at this. You're such an agreeable guest. Uh, both of our five star reviews was 1997's The House of Yes. Let's get into our fast forward. So as we mentioned before, uh, Parker Posey, you know, there's been a couple times in recent years where she's basically been like, do I give up acting? Do I, you know, do I start like, right, you know, selling, you know, milk from my (laughs) cow or like, do I start making crafts? Do I start making soap and um, I hope it never comes to that. Honestly, I hope you know that she continues. I think it'd be a great loss to the acting community if she ever stopped doing it. But also, I, I think people need to pay her. You know, she even yes. said even doing that arc on Louis, she was practically doing it for free. Jesus. Yeah, it's. I, I think you know, like I said, I'm. I'm really hoping that you know we had a Met Gala all about camp and like I. I just really hope. Um, there are more avenues now opening up for um, cool, weird uh, shows and movies. And and I hope, I, I mean, Jesus, I read that she tried to, from that, tried to pitch a show to FX and they fucking passed, which is basically homophobia at this point. Um, <laughs> like, I, I think there's so much untapped, like, 
a well of things in, in Parker Posey. And it's just like confounding to me in my brain where, where, where we live in a world where every fucking um, studio is looking for like uh, IPs and like known faces. It's like, hello, she's, she's here. Nationals, platter, hello. Um, and, and also just because we have like her, you know, doing funny things, doing dramatic things, but also like just like the taste of like villainous stuff that she's so fucking good at. Like she should have Elizabeth Banks career. You know, like, and not that I don't like Elizabeth Banks, she's great, but why doesn't Parker Posey have what she has? You know, the opportunities, everything. Like, I don't get it. I mean, I like that, uh, knowing that her part on Lost in Space is villainous, um, because, you know, it, being a regular, it's, uh, there's going to be room for, you know, I'm sure it'll be, like, morally ambiguous at a certain point, right? Like, she's not going to be, like, laughing in an orb or whatever, <laughs> like, maniacally. Or, or, like at Josie um, the Pussycats? Right, right. Or like I'm doing and right now. She can bring the nuance to that. So um, I, I like that. Um, I, if Richard Linklater ever makes a good movie again, like she should 100% be involved because he's making movies now about uh, people his age and about aging. And, and obviously like that, it should line up. That would be a really lovely pairing um, or a lovely reunion. Um it, hopefully Hal Hartley will get to make his Where We Land. Like, no one's giving him money except his fans at this point, which is really sad, but she's on the cast list for that. But it's, it seems like it's defunct now. Um, I don't want her to have to, like, resort to the, you know, working with the people that she worked with so well in the 90s. But, like, I don't know where she fits now. And that's why I think, like, TV is encouraging because there's lots of ways that she can fit in. I mean, I agree and I disagree because I actually wouldn't mind seeing her reunited with, and I know you basically just said that, but, like, I wouldn't mind seeing her reunited with some of those 90s auteurs. And I know that that time doesn't exist anymore and it doesn't, you know, we're probably never going to be there again, even though the democratization of filmmaking is so much wider now and people are like, oh, you can pick up your cell phone and make a movie. But... I I think that I would she works so well with people that that have you know such viewpoints and and such a specific style and I think that's really interesting and I, and I do think there's something very special about that um you know like you said the link laters or or you know I, I don't I would I would love to see her be able to return that but you're right I mean until then hopefully she finds because as you said, Lost in Space is ending. So hopefully she finds like a TV. I, it shocks me that she's never led a TV show to like success, you know, yeah. Jezebel James, like she was a lead in, but it, it did, you know, so only so many episodes. I'm flabbergasted that she's never been able to, to play the lead on a TV show and, and have it play out. Cause I, I don't know what they're not seeing in her. Because it's right. so clear when you watch her act. It's so clear her point of view and where she's coming from and what she does. And she does it so well. Um, she's... I would also love to like see her in like a one-woman show, like off-Broadway. You know, like, God. If oh, I... like the end of For Your Consideration? <laughs> Literally exactly yes. that. Like, yes, I, I, want... would, I would pay at least $250 to see No Penis Intended. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now playing at Joe's Pub. Crazy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I like to me, she's always will be connected to New York and that, and I, I, I wish like for as many people that, that like, will say, oh yeah, she's such a gal about town. We love her, but like, I just wish like the community like would 
we'll give her the fucking space to do that. Like, yeah, the bitch would sell tickets. Like, I don't understand. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I, I think sh- sh- she is the gal for all the weirdos out there, you know, and I think, uh, she, it was really uh, fulfilling going back and actually going through all these, especially the deep cuts that, you know, a lot of people don't know about or are underwatched. Um, it, it's, it's so fulfilling to like really get like this really three-dimensional view of her because it's not just being weird on camera. It's yeah. the sincerity. It's the empathy. It, it, it's she, like I said, it feels like she is this, this diamond that is undiscovered, even though she's had such a long career. Right. She's, she's a diamond that's been discovered, but everybody just keeps picking up and going like, well, oh, this can't be real. And, and that's, <laughs> and that's probably part of the oh, problem. Gavin, oh my God, you just fucking knocked me off. <laughs> I, I do think that, as the roles for Catherine O'Hara start to dwindle, maybe Parker Posey can slip into to those because, uh, I mean, obviously they're of a piece, you know, and that I would, I, I think it's coming. I mean, as long as she's working, as long as she's <laughs> has a functioning body and mind, <laughs> like, like we are going to get that. I, I'm not worried that we're not going to get, you know, a, like a, a beautiful sort of, you know, next stage of her career. Uh, I love that. And that, that's, that's the hopeful thing I was hoping that this would end on. And I think that's the perfect, like, God, I was like really down in the dumps of thinking, God, she, she will forever be cast aside, but um, you are absolutely right, Jesse. Um, and I think that's a very excellent place to um, end our episode <laughs> on Parker Posey. Um, we want to thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us. Um, oh, thank you for having me. I mean, Where can people find you online? This is your chance to plug whatever you want to do, whatever you're up to, uh, your Twitter, just any way that we can stalk you, your Venmo. <laughs> oh, I was just about to say it. Um, you stole my joke, but it is. It is at uh, Jesse Ryan Knight. No, I am the Jesse and the K in the Knight. Um, that's it. Listen to the Mixed Reviews podcast. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, stop <laughs> um, yes if you want to listen to the mixed reviews as you have been doing uh you can always find us online on twitter at at the mixed reviews or on facebook just type in the mixed reviews you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com we're also on instagram just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews and if you want to listen to this episode as you have been doing or many of our other episodes we have so many in our back catalog at this point mm-hmm. you can listen to us on a plethora of podcast apps we're on apple stitcher spotify google audible you can find us anywhere and if you do listen to us on apple Podcasts, please stop by leave us a five-star rating and a review we'll read it on the show and on top of all of that if you you email us or message us on Twitter or send us a DM on Facebook, however you want to do it. If you send us proof that you have donated to either the Send Chinatown Love Charity, Intransitive Charity, or the Save Our Spaces Charity, you will be entered to win a copy, a hardcover copy of Parker Posey's memoir signed by the legend herself. And I will send that to you. I certainly will. Mm -hmm. So please do that. These are all important charities. They deserve your money and your time. Yes, send some love our way and we will send it right back to these really important causes. Uh, we again want to thank you, Jesse, for joining us. We loved having you. Absolutely. Uh, love talking about Parker Posey. I could feel your passion radiating from <laughs> the West Coast. Guys, we are in like three different time zones right now. The magic of the internet is amazing. Um, but thank you guys so much and we will see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.
One night, Mama went to fetch us up a sweet potato fell down the cellar stairs. Stork dropped in while she was on the floor, so my sister was born down there. Daddy said, this and will be nothing but a misery, never will be worth a damn. But Mama just loved her little sweet potato baby with a face like a parboiled yeah. 